Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hello everybody and welcome to Scattered. Uh, This morning I am with Jill and with Juliet and we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 39 to 56, continuing through um, the Christmas narrative, the narrative of the birth of Jesus. And so far we've looked at the foretelling of the birth of John um, and then in the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to see a bit more of how Mary reacts to everything that's been going on. So we're going to look at the first section, which is 39 to 45 first. So, ladies, why did Mary go to visit Elizabeth? And um, what do you think is the significance of what happens and what's said? We looked last week that um, the angel Gabriel said to Mary that her cousin Elizabeth was also due to have a baby. And so it seems like since she's got this knowledge, she's rushing to go and see her, her cousin. And it's not a like popping down to the next road to go and see her it's a good 80 to 100 miles away so it's quite a long journey and it's like from Manchester to the Lake District and with whatever form of transport they had then yeah I read that's a good I'd I'd done the I'd got the research to the 100 miles but I'd not worked that out that that meant going to the Lake District either on foot or on a donkey um yeah, I read something that was really helpful that this is almost like a sign, isn't it, for Mary to authenticate that what she's heard. So she believed what the angel said, and this was in God's kindness, something that she can because I guess in the first few months of pregnancy, it's hard, isn't it, to know. You don't you don't always you might feel sick, but you might not. And so actually for Mary, it's such a kindness of God to say, go and see your um old well elderly relative Elizabeth and her pregnancy will be a sign for you that everything that the angel has said is true and so I guess there's part of Mary excited to have a confirmation really of all that God said to her through the angel Gabriel. Yeah because we need to remember don't we that there were no pregnancy tests at that time and Mary's just been told all this stuff by Gabriel and then it says in verse 39 in those days Mary arose so it wasn't like she hung around she quite quickly headed up country to see Elizabeth and I just I wonder if you know part of it was I need to go and get a confirmation that this is happening but also I wonder how much of it is maybe Elizabeth will understand (laughs) you know and like mutual encouragement um mutual happiness you know when you're really happy about something what do you want to do you want to share it and so I wonder if some of that was going on as well yeah and I guess it's lovely to see isn't it the response of Elizabeth to Mary and the fact that Elizabeth responds in humility because something I read said you know normally Mary would be the one that would sit underneath the authority of Elizabeth and yet immediately as the it says doesn't it the Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth as soon as she sees Mary and she she realizes that the baby that Mary is carrying is superior to the baby that God has given to her and so there's that sense of you're the mother of my Lord and so Elizabeth is really quick to take that position of humility before the baby that Mary carries 
Um, but also the faith of Elizabeth's really striking, isn't it? That, um, yeah, immediately she responds with faith and the Holy Spirit comes upon her to enable her to see those things. And I guess like Helen said, her joy as well. Like there's such a sense of joy for both of them, isn't there, in this interaction that they've, they're sharing something so precious. And so, yeah, I just thought both of them... I guess we see more of Mary's humility in the next part, but yeah, that there's, there's so many common responses, aren't there, between Elizabeth and Mary? And I, I thought it was incredible that um, that John, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, also shared that joy. Yeah, he's only five or six months, is it? And he leapt for joy inside it's like that spiritual he was spiritually aware emotionally aware um shared in the joy that was going around which is why we should baptize our babies <laughs> mary's not here to argue so i'm just gonna take that nobody's arguing with me i feel like we're five minutes into this recording and i've already lost control <laughs> But I do think that is a strong (laughs) argument for God's spirit works when God's spirit works, doesn't it? And that can be in the womb. It doesn't need to be at a point of being able to um, choose yourself. Let's just leave it there. Right. The French have this phrase that says, (laughs) nous revenons à nos moutons, which means we will return to our sheep, which means we digress. And... Did you guys find anything about that phrase um, leapt for joy or leaping for joy? I went all Hermione on this one. You guys might not have done. Go, go, tell us. So the the phrase um, leaping for joy or leapt for joy is often used in the Bible, in the Old Testament anyway, to signify the sort of the coming of the messianic age or the savior was coming so there's a bit in Isaiah 35 where it talks about leaping for joy and then again in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 it says you will leap out of your stalls like calves Um, and so it's not just that John sensed the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all those kind of things it's John sort of it's the signal to the original readers that John recognized the divinity of Jesus and that the messianic age was coming. Great. The, when you said, what do you know about leaping for joy? All I could think was that, you know, the miracle in Acts 3, where the man was walking and leaping and praising God. And I was like, are we just sing that song? <laughs> also, isn't it incredible that John is already fil- fulfilling the what has been um, testified about what he'll do he's already making ready a people prepared for the lord he's making elizabeth and mary excited and ready for the coming savior yeah that's beautiful Woo-hoo. <laughs> what do you think about the action of the holy spirit here well i think this actually sets up doesn't it one of the because it's one of the themes all the way through luke i think and then in acts obviously the work of the holy spirit and Something I read was that actually one of the things that Luke is constantly drawing attention to about the work of the Holy Spirit is that um, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and guides us into truth. And I guess we see that here, don't we, that um, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and that reveals to her heart that Jesus 
is in Mary's womb and yeah, she's led into the truth of the Messiah is coming. So I, I guess her and jo- her and Zachariah have had conversations about that already, but it feels like here when the Holy Spirit descends in this special way on Elizabeth, she's a little bit like a prophet and she's she fulfills the role of a prophetess here in um, announcing Jesus's birth. So yeah, that's that's what I read. That it actually all the way through Luke, we see those themes that the Spirit reveals and guides us towards Jesus. Yeah, and the and the same Spirit that created these two pregnancies is now causing people to give witness about them and about what they've come to do. I was just going to correct you a little bit, Jill. They couldn't have had the conversation because Zachariah's still mute. Just throwing it out there. Well, sorry, when I say conversation, I meant um, note sending to each other. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> I think they were probably pen pals for the, for the nine months. Sending each other memes. <laughs> and I just think we need to remember, don't it? I mean, Elizabeth's response to all of this is, is remarkable, considering life must have been really hard without Zachariah being able to speak. You know, and what grace that is that despite everything that must have gone on because he he can't interact and can't perform his normal duties as the representative of the family that she still has this she's still been given this grace she still she gets filled with the holy spirit she's still able to witness it's a it's a great mercy of god i think so looking at the next section uh, verses 46 to 56 what is this little section why does mary sing it or speak it and who is it mostly about I think it's incredible her heart just straight away pours into a song about God it's it's all about God what he has done for her personally what he has done for the poor and disadvantaged and then also just his faithfulness to God's people you can see over and over again she repeats he 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 his his mercy, his greatness. I was really struck as well by the thing, almost like when you prick Mary, what comes out of her is praise, but also um, really biblical praise. And so there's so much of this that is just full of Old Testament, um, either scriptures or quotes or allusions. And it's just a really good challenge, isn't it? That actually her mind is so soaked in scripture and she knows and lives in this in god's story she's not cons- you know she's not primarily living in her story but she's living in god's story and so she's able to locate what's happening to her within god's story and yeah i was just really challenged by that that it's so easy isn't it to be living in our own little stories rather than making sure that our hearts are living out of god's story which I think this shows so clearly that that's Mary's point of reference. Yeah, I think it was really clear, wasn't it, mm. that Mary held tightly on to God's promises. And, you know, she was probably only 13. We don't know whether or not she was even literate. And yet, scriptures were on her heart, which means that the scriptures were clearly in her home. Like, good job, parents of Mary. And I found that a real challenge to me, that in my home, are scriptures known? Are they around? Are they spoken? Are they talked of? Um, because I think we see here, with this section's called, like, it's sometimes called the Magnificat, isn't it? The Magnificat, this Song of Mary, is is clear evidence 
that God's word was a significant part of her life. And I think that also really helps her, doesn't it, locate herself in that. So I, I guess if that had happened to any of us, the danger is we're like, get me, God's chosen me, look how great I am. And yet she starts, doesn't she, with that, um, she's lifting up the Lord and she knows that she needs a saviour. That's right there in the first verse. And she acknowledges her humble state. And so I just think that's so challenging, isn't it? That even though God's visited her in such a dramatic way, he knows it's all about him and it's not about her. And that doesn't enlarge her heart. It just enlarges her praise of the Lord. Yeah, I, th- I found it incredible that so much of Hannah's song was within Mary's song. Um, she almost quotes the first... Um, so Hannah's song is found in... Uh, 1 Samuel or 1 Samuel 2 um, verses 1 to 10 and she almost directly quotes Hannah in her first the first five verses in my heart exalting in the Lord Mary also says that words to that effect and then Hannah says there is none holy like the Lord and Mary says holy is his name and so over and over again it's like Mary knows Hannah's song so intimately and she can recognize just as God was at work in Hannah's life um, and Hannah re- magnifying God's name there. God is now at work in her life in this very real way and she's doing what Hannah did and is magnifying his name. I was just going to say, if she was a jazz musician, it's like she knows the song of Hannah's song so well, she can improvise around it and apply it into her own situation. So, yeah, all the key components are there. And yet she's able to praise God through those words, but applying it into her own situation, which is beautiful. Yeah. And I think Mary doesn't lose sight of who she is, who Jesus is and who God is, even in the midst of this song. Um, I know last week we briefly touched upon um, the place of Mary in various um, Christian circles. So um, Catholic, we were talking primarily about Catholic and Protestant. And here again, we can see, can't we? Mary says, God has done great things for me. But he also says, she also says, sorry, in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Like Mary is still really aware that even though she is going to be the mother of Jesus, of the Messiah, she is still in need of a saviour. And God has done great things for her because he's going to use her in an extraordinary way to fulfill his promises, to accomplish his purposes. And so she rejoices because she knows that God's um, that she knows she's not worthy. And yet God's going to use her in this mighty way. And she still celebrates, even though it's going to cost, it's come at, going to come at great personal cost for her. She never loses sight of herself before God and herself, her, her place in society. And, and she sees really clearly, doesn't she, that the blessing is from God not because of anything good in her. And I just think, yeah, that that's such a helpful lesson to my heart. When things are going well, that's God's blessing. Um, you know, when I achieve anything, that's because of God's blessing in my life. And 
yeah, I just think we don't live with that mentality that Mary did, do we, very well, because we're so quick to um, pat ourselves on the back when things go well. So like we said before, there are loads of Old Testament allusions in this section, aren't there? I read a couple of different things. One said 12, one said over 35. Anyway, we've talked about one of them, about Hannah's song. Um, what other Old Testament allusions can you see, guys, and, and why do you think Mary does this? Um, the one I looked up and looked into a little bit was where she talks in verse 51 about God's arm and how that's um, used all the way through the Old Testament to refer to God's power. And so when God's talking to Moses in Exodus about how he's going to deliver his people, he talks about using the strength of his arm to accomplish that. And again, in the Psalms, that um, that phrase about God's arm is referring to his power and his strength. And so I guess Mary there, isn't she, is again putting this in the context of um, what God's doing here is going to be showing his power and just the, the way he's done that all the way through the Old Testament. So she um, quotes a lot of the Psalms in her um, in her song, and in particular, I looked at how she used the word the phrase "mighty one" in verse forty nine. And um, not only is that used in Psalm eighty nine, but it's also used in Zephaniah three, emphasizes God's uh, sovereign power over. Um, all that's going on in that situation. And I think Mary does this all, doesn't she? Because she wants to remind, like she's, like we said before, these scriptures are on her heart, but also she wants to remind people, this isn't just about a baby. This is the fulfillment of everything. This is, you know, she talks in verses 54 and 55, doesn't she, about Abraham and the promises given to Abraham, the people, the land and the blessing they've already seen the people the israelites are there but now this is where you know god's going to remain faithful to the land and the blessing um just reminding them that because the jews at those time at those time did hold on and still do hold on so strongly to the to the covenant given to abraham and she was saying we're nearly there it's nearly it's nearly accomplished let's let's celebrate let's let's glorify god let's magnify god um for who he is and what he's promised to do mm. yeah and her context was israel isn't wasn't it rather than the church you know i guess we would think about that now in the context of the church but for her that's within the context isn't it of israel and all god's promises through the whole of the old testament yeah and for the benefit of anyone who might be listening we're talking about israel in the bible as in god's people group um, rather than a specific country nowadays. Great. So we've talked quite a lot, actually, about what this section tells us about Mary and about God. Um, and ultimately, this song is a song of hope, isn't it? A song of aspiration, of um, excitedness at what is about to come to pass. Um, and so it should trigger in us some heart and soul searching. But how is it how could it also be a song of challenge or how what's the flip side to the story of hope in the Magnificat so in the song there's quite a lot of um balancing looking at the humble looking at the proud 
it's these two parallels that keep oh, these two parallels that keep being drawn up between the humble and the proud so the humble he's lifted up but he's brought down rulers from their thrones he's given the hungry food or good things and he's sent the rich way empty and so these parallels is asking us and it would be a challenge because luke was writing this book for uh, theophilus or this letter and he would have been someone who is has things to be proud of he would be rich and powerful and yet this is speaking to a different way that god does things in wanting us to see that he is what we need in terms of um he is the most powerful one he is the one who provides us with all the riches we could ever want and so we don't need to look elsewhere for these things we should look to him and i i found that personally as a quite a big challenge because i feel like i want to look for uh things that will give me respect or, and I want to provide for, in a way for our family. And um, yeah, I think these, this speaks challenge to my heart. Yeah, and it's often the case, isn't it? That when people are powerful, that they rely on that power or those circumstances rather than on God. And so I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? That God knows that when we are in positions of power, that's that, that tends to be where we place our hope and our gaze and so it's so helpful to see isn't it that he works through the humble and the weak and um fills the hungry and yeah how, how i guess the question is how do we cultivate those attributes of heart because that, it's the opposite to what the world values isn't it i think that's that's one of the keys isn't it that we need to recognize that god's kingdom brings about reversals and what we thought was up becomes down um, and that that is a good thing. I, th I thought like the key, one of the keys in um, key challenges in this section was verse 50, where Mary says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And I just thought, actually, that's a real challenge, isn't it? To those who don't, who choose not to believe in Jesus, who don't believe the promises of God his mercy is not not for them and I found that devastating because I come from a non-Christian family and yet a real challenge to me okay so what are you going to do about it because yeah God promises great mercy but only to those who fear him only to those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ that's a challenge to our evangelism isn't it but it's also a challenge to how do we cultivate the fear of the Lord in our own hearts because I guess when that's really active in our hearts, then that overflows in our conversation with family and friends, doesn't it? And it's clear that we are living from a different script than they are. Um, so I, I guess part of the, the way that we help those that we love see that is by making sure our hearts are captured by it, isn't it? Yeah, I think this remains quite a challenging passage for all of us because um, like in verse 51, he says, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts or who elsewhere it says arrogant of heart and mind. And this is an echoing of lots of passages within Isaiah. And I think the challenge to us is, are we arrogant of heart and mind? It's not that other people can see that, 
but it's us before God, if we're being real, because I think even if it looks like you're doing all the right things, your heart can be easily swayed. And I, I found it a real challenge that, um, yeah, especially in the lead up to Christmas, um, to spend more time magnifying God and increasing our joy and um, humbling ourselves more before him. Yeah, it's so easy, isn't it, to just become proud around Christmas time and busy and distracted from this really good news. That's a really good way to end us, Juliet. Thanks so much. We've just had to lose Helen because she's gone to deal with some men with machetes. So we will see you next week for the last one in our Christmas series. Bye. Bye. Bye.